Lord, you have called this space that we gather a house of prayer. And now, right now, we desperately need you to bring understanding, to bring uh, hope, to bring healing, to bring encouragement. Lord, uh, give us the courage to be great listeners, but even greater courage to be active doers. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Stay standing. Stay standing. Because this is summer, and I want to open up with an illustration that I think is really fun. Um, is it okay to have fun in church? Yes. All right, good. Do you know how to play Simon Says? Yes. All right, Simon Says, both hands up. Come on, everybody. Look around. Come on. All right. All right, right hand down. Okay, sit down if you put your right hand down. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, hey, wait, uh, there needs to be accountability around here. Okay, right hand back up. Oh, all right. <laughs> Someone is just totally bad at this game. All right, Simon says, both hands down. Simon says, clap once. Simon says, clap twice. Clap once. Oh, sit down. All right. All right, both hands up. Oh, sit down. All right. Simon says, left hand up. Simon says, right hand up. Simon says, left hand down. Simon says, right hand down. Simon says, left hand up. Right hand up. Oh, I saw some flinching. I saw flinching. There was flinching. All right, here we go. Now, we could do this all day, but here's the point. All of you who are standing are going to heaven. All right? Good, good, good. And all you who are seated are not. Oh, boo, boo. Sit down. That's the illustration today because... No, here's the deal. All right, all right, sit down here. I'll, I'll, I'll explain some things to y'all, okay? Um, you know, really, what if Jesus said that? What if Jesus said that? What if Jesus said, hey, yeah, just those of you who are standing, okay, you get heaven. Uh, but those of you who are seated, you get hell. I mean, it would just be like, no way. But as we pursue going through the Sermon on the Mount this summer, Today has some very, very challenging text to it, but we've got to really understand the first part of this. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, because we're going to hear Jesus saying something as shocking as I had said, that, you know, it, it's almost like, uh, you know, those who perfectly followed what Simon said, I mean, they kept standing, but those who did not fell short, right? And so, um, let, let me again give you the context to the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which we're calling it the Summer on the Mount. In Luke's account, uh, before this event, um, Jesus had a time in Nazareth, his hometown, where he opened the scrolls in the synagogue there, and he said these words, which were a direct quote of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay. He says those words and he rolls up the scroll 
And he said to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words. Now, as we read through that, I think some of us had, have discounted ourselves from any of those categories in which Jesus came for. He says he's come to proclaim good news to the poor. Well, are, are you poor? Well, okay, it's like, whoa. Okay, it all depends on how you look at it. Materially, we in the United States are <laughs> in the top 1% of the world's wealth, okay? But no, that is, is that the poor in which Jesus is referring to here? No, it says, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Is anything holding you captive right now? Are your hearts held captive right now? Maybe some strongholds going on. Um, if so, then this is for you. Uh, recovery of sight to the blind. Any of you blind? Any of your souls blind to circumstances or, or maybe your own um, shortfallings? I, I don't know. I, Jesus says, I have come for these things. And so now the Sermon on the Mount uh, he has just given the Beatitudes. We talked about that here last week, all the, the blessed statements, the eight blessed statements. But then I want to talk through this text. I want you to follow along as we talk through the text here today because uh, our, our sermon today is the heart behind kingdom living. Jesus says the kingdom of God is here. Uh, the Jews were looking for the kingdom to come through Messiah but how uh, that kingdom was to come was totally different. And Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I, I just want to stop right there. What does he mean, law and the prophets? Because when we think of law, we think of, you know, police or whatever, the long arm of the law reinforcing some different things. But here in your scriptures, law is capitalized. And, and again, I, I think everything in your Bible, you know, the, the front part of your Bible, Genesis through Malachi, uh, we would call um, the, the scriptures. The, you, you have the law, you've got the prophets. Um, and Jesus says this, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill, there in the Greek means to fill what is unfilled, to, to, to fill it up, to, to uh, fill the gap there. And he says, I've come to fulfill them. Well, how does he do that? Uh, three ways that Jesus fulfills the law. First of all, he clarifies the intent behind the law. He clarifies the intent. The, the law is always to reveal some things. The law was given. Uh, there were different, three different kinds of law. There was ceremonial law, ceremonial festivals. And again, just to remind the people when there is sin that something has to die. So you have the sacrificial system and 
So you've got ceremonial law, but when you look at all of those particular laws, you see that, yeah, something had to die, but Jesus is coming to put an end to the sacrificial system. He is coming to fulfill that. All of the ceremonial law was leading up to Jesus being the fulfillment of that. Passover, Jesus, the Passover lamb, et cetera, et cetera. So you have, you have ceremonial law, you've got civil law, you've got the, the uh, um, you know, basics of the foundation for civilization. You got the Ten Commandments that were given to the nation of Israel. Um, you've got these, um, but then you've got the moral law that is part of that as well. Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law. So Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial. But right now, he is continuing to uh, fulfill through us the moral law. So he says in verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. He's saying not until everything that has been written is fulfilled. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so he, he's, he's talking about just the importance of the heart behind the law. So Jesus clarifies the intent, but then Jesus also fully lived out the law. He, he lived it out as the perfect human being who was able to live this out and fulfill it. What's interesting in the Gospels is it says that the religious leaders continued to attack Jesus. And he says, attack me for what? What have I, what have I broken? Um, but they have made so many laws, the Pharisees. In fact, there was a group that was even called the Bleeding Pharisees that went above and beyond to try to keep from breaking the 613 laws that they would make a thousand more laws to keep them from that. So, you know, some would, uh, again, just walk with their heads down and bump into walls and bleed as a result, therefore in the name Bleeding Pharisees, just so they didn't have the opportunity to look at a woman and, uh, and, and have, you know, uh, a temptation um, from that. And so here you have these Pharisees that continued to attack Jesus, but Jesus had fully been satisfying the law. But then look at verse 20, because this is huge statement, because this is so shocking to the hearers. For unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I, I want you to think about that. Because in the day that Jesus walked, there was a statement that said this, if two people make it to heaven, one a scribe, the other a Pharisee. These were so looked up to. These were keepers of the law. And Jesus here, he, he lives it out, but this is a shocking statement. Because to the listeners, it's like, there's no way. 
There's no way we can go back and memorize the Torah. There's no way we could do and accomplish what these have done. The point is this, that the law never saves you. The law is a reflection of the heart and the character of God, a loving God who wants the best for his people. But it's not by following the law that you earn points with God. It is because of God's love for you that now you're inspired to follow after the law. He just says, hey, I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to fill in the gaps where you could not fulfill it. Why is that? Because if you turn in the scripture to the very last verse of uh, Matthew chapter 5, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Whoa. Ouch. You must be perfect following what Simon says. Or if you're seated, you are going to hell. I mean, this is shocking. I, I just, I, you know... Everyone loved to follow Jesus, but he would say things like that. And I'm sure his disciples put him aside and said, hey, you know, this is not how you keep a crowd, Jesus. He says, yes, but I'm going after the heart. I'm going after the heart. And so what we have in Christ that I think some of us learn to take for granted with time is that Jesus satisfied the righteous requirements of the law and our faith in him is credited, his righteousness is credited to our account. And this is the point Jesus is going to reinforce time and time again. What is so amazing about Jesus is he hates religion. Some of you look at me like, what? Jesus hates religion because religion is following after rules Religion is us trying in our own strength and power to impress a holy God. That is what religion goes after. But what is the fruit of religion often seen by very religious people who might even know their scriptures and go to church every Sunday? And that is what can happen is a self-righteousness. Remember what I said in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus went into his hometown synagogue? The people were amazed at the graciousness of not only his message, but I think even how he said it. He says, man, I've come to bring sight to the blind. I've come to free the captives. He says, that's why I've come. But Jesus knows that the only way this can happen is not by trying to have you conform your external activity to look good to everybody around you. But we're going to see that Jesus is going to start some statements that say something like this, you have heard, but now I tell you. He's going to make six of these statements, and you need to know that each one of these paragraphs, each one of these topics that we're going to cover, each one is an illustration of verse 20. Each one is an illustration of verse 20. 
because unless your righteousness surpasses, well, here we go. Verse 21, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Do you remember where that command was given? Uh, The Ten Commandments, uh, number six to be exact. Probably found themselves on the second tablet, okay? You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. In fact, if you go to Leviticus 27, 17, it says the penalty for murder is death, is death. That is a death penalty statement. But then verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Ouch! Because see, I would trust most of us in here would say we've never physically murdered somebody. But Jesus is raising the bar, isn't he? He's saying, wait, wait, wait. Um... How many of you are harboring anger and bitterness to a brother or a sister? He says, because this is a matter of the heart. And so I want you to see uh, the framework for Jesus' illustrations. He, he's going to follow this particular pattern that there's this change of perspective, and this is what we're seeing here. You've heard it say, but I say. He's giving a change of perspective that the, the walk of faith Yes, it has external components to it, but that is to be driven from a heart that's being changed through the Holy Spirit of God, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit of God, who wants to work on our heart, do heart surgery. This is the heart behind the kingdom, because I think so many of us can put so much pressure on ourselves for trying to be perfect, trying to not let God down. And he's saying, okay, you want that to happen, here's how you do it. You've got to first of all acknowledge Again, what is the very first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are spiritually bankrupt, those who realize that apart from Christ, there is nothing that we have to offer a holy God. And I know that is so countercultural, church. I know it's countercultural. It's hard to hear that. And what Jesus is not saying is that conflict with people is bad. In fact, other places in Scripture, in Ephesians, it says, in your anger, do not sin. There's definitely things to be angry about. But as you express that anger, do not do it in a sinful, demeaning way. Do it in a very respectful way, knowing that we enter into the conflict We enter into that conflict because this is the opportunity for us to then, uh, going back to verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. So you go into conflict for the purpose of making peace, building peace, not avoiding conflict, trying to keep the peace, because that does not work. But here's the challenge for us, that if you are part of the conflict, then you have a part in the conflict. 
You see, verse 24 says, leave your gift there, or, or verse 23 says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. What he is saying is entering into the conflict is costly, but to avoid conflict is more costly. That we've got to be a people that are... are viewing any situation that ticks you off, that you could harbor bitterness and resentment, and the longer you hold on to that, the deeper that root grows, the stronger the, the, the branches that come from that, the thicker it gets, the harder it is to deal with. And then the branches extend to so many other areas of our life. And our creator says, no, I'm going after your heart because I don't want you to have this come between relationships. And what I think is so fascinating about verse 24, he's saying, when you see that there is something about this horizontal relationship before you get vertical with me, he says, you need to address that in a very responsible way. Romans 12, it says, uh, be at peace with one another. As far as it depends on you, do what you can. There's not everything, uh, not everything will always resolve itself. And, and that's just a, a difficult thing. But I tell you, we've got to be a people that obey because obedience is what God has called us to. We are not to judge obedience by the outcome. We are to judge obedience by obedience itself. I think some people have tried and tried and still harboring resentment. And I know I was talking to a guy and he, he says, you, you just don't understand my life. I mean, I, I, and this guy had so much hatred towards his dad, so much hatred. Because what had happened was his dad was an alcoholic. And this little, when he was a small little boy, he would see his dad beating his mom every night in a drunken rage every night until dad one day found his hiding place of this little boy, and instead of beating his mom, would beat the son. Every day, every day. So this is Brian, there is no way, there is no way I can do what this is calling me to do. There's no way, it's impossible. There's gotta be exceptions to the clause because this is absolutely impossible. And I said, well, let's own your part. What do you mean own my part? I have no part to own. Well, okay. Is there anything your dad could say that could have continued to keep that pattern going? Well, I was very disrespectful. I talked bad about him to my friends. I did, okay, well, that is a part to own. Is it possible? that you could, through prayer, ask the Holy Spirit of God to give you the courage to just say, Dad, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry for talking bad about you with my friends. I'm so sorry about that. I'm so sorry 
for at times fighting back and trying to punch you out. I am so sorry for that. Now, some of you are going, whoa, wait, wait, that's, what are you encouraging him to do? I'm encouraging him to own the 1% that he could own. 1% out of the 100%, yeah, 1%. Because we all have a part that we can own, and that's what we don't want. We, we just don't want it. No, no, no. There, there's this 99, yeah, yeah. Do not focus on that 99. And he focused on the 1%. And his father was so overcome with remorse, with repentance, that he gave his life to the Lord. It's not everyone's story. But Jesus is saying, we've got to have a change of perspective. Yes, I look at enmity between you and another, and I take it very, very seriously. And don't think you're all holy and raising your hands because you're holy and raising your hands. Because you could be doing this on a Sunday morning and said, I cannot stand this person. Oh, look at them over on the other side. Man, that's why I sit over here because they sit over there. The Lord is saying there's no room for that in the family of faith. Do what you can do. Did I say this morning was going to be easy? It's tough stuff. I know a lot of you have been through hard stuff. I've been through hard stuff. What Jesus is calling you to do is absolutely impossible. But he does give you a path to pursue. Well, let's go on if that wasn't hard enough. Verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Well, again, that's command number seven. You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, heart. The Lord knows our heart. And you go, wait, 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 okay. And I'm telling you, as a guy living in our society today, it's tough. I, I don't want this to be in the scripture. I just, I don't want it to be there. This is one where I wish there was just kind of a, a marker and I could feel better if that wasn't in there. But remember, this is Jesus' first sermon. This is a, this packs a punch right at the beginning of his ministry. But he's making a point in saying these things because it's the change of perspective. You say you haven't committed adultery? Okay. Well, have you lusted after another in your heart? And then he says something that is very gross. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that of your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, then that your whole body go into hell. See, this is not encouraging amputation. It is encouraging elimination. It is encouraging what are those aspects of my life that I invite in that take my mind to a not good place. He said, then just cut it out. 
just cut it out. You, you, you've got to kill it before it kills you. You got to cut it out. You got to cut it out early. Tough stuff. Tough stuff, church. Remember, we have a God who perfectly satisfied the righteous requirements of the law. Why? Because he knows you can't do it. That doesn't give you the rationalization or the justification to say, hey, this is why I do this. Man, I, I'm so glad I've got the forgiveness of God. Remember, we do not follow after the law to earn anything in our relationship with God because we already have his love. We have his love. But he's saying, dear children, I want you to experience the most out of life. And the most out of life is not to be okay with willing conflict, especially in the family of faith. There's no room for that. There's no room for you living a life that is jeopardizing your relationship. We live in a society that is just uh, addicted to pornography. I mean, just addicted. The amount of money that goes into that industry, it is just overwhelming. It's mind-boggling. But it's almost like these young kids are raised in this. And these young kids are just like, well, of course, everybody looks at porn. Everybody is porn. I mean, that is like this, and it's robbing of true intimate relationship with your spouse. It's, it's robbing of that. It robs from that. It robs from your relationship with other people because you are so into anything like this in a fantasy. You are, you are so into other people serving my needs, my gratifications, my fantasies. And Jesus says, man, I love you. I love you. I love you. I want the best for you. I created you. But you've got to take these things to heart. How many of you are glad you're not me right now preaching this text? <laughs> All right? Yeah, good. I, 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 I just, man, I just prayed so much going into this because in our society and tragically even in church world, we just take this so lightly. Oh, everybody has anger towards another. You know, it's... You know, and I like to think that I can respond well in different situations, and then all of a sudden something comes up, and I go, why did I respond that way? You know, like when AT&T says, okay, we got a problem with your bill, so now you got to call somebody, you got to be in holding forever, and then when you talk to somebody, they don't speak your language. Um, that upsets me. I'm sorry. Anyone? I mean, that upsets me. And they go, are you kidding me? Oh, my goodness. Drivers nowadays. <laughs> I mean, I was on G Avenue over near Augusta at 6.15 in the morning, Tuesday morning, and somebody was riding my bumper, and I'm like, there's deer in this territory, thank you very much. And all of a sudden, they finally had a place where they could pass me and everything in me. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> There was a battle, flesh or spirit. 
and I wanted the flesh to win out because I wanted them to see what it felt like. Oh, I wanted to so bad. Sometimes I've done that, but I didn't do it on Tuesday. I did not do it on Tuesday, okay? I'm just being transparent with you. I go, it ticks me off. And they go, okay, why does that tick me off so much? I don't know, it just ticks me off. But when it comes to church, when it comes to the family of faith, when it comes to this, do you have the kind of relationships in your life? Again, I had another friend who, um, or I know of a story, I I, want to be honest about this, I know of a story told to me by a friend of a guy who uh, had a a whole bunch of hail damage on his truck. Uh, He was living down in Texas, a whole bunch of hail damage, and so he calls around and he found this great outfit that could fix the hail damage, and and it was a group of four guys, and they came and they put all this red stuff all over his truck and everything, and they're so nice and so gracious, and it was like $800 for them to, you know, kind of do this, and and, uh, so he does that, and the guy said, hey, we need this much money now, and then uh, we're coming back tomorrow just to finish the bumper, and then we'll we'll smooth everything all out. And so, uh, sure enough, he goes to the ATM, gives $800. And then uh, the next day at nine in the morning when the guys are show up, nobody shows up. And so he calls the number and, and like, wait, this number is not working. Uh, it worked the other day, but it's not working now. What's going on? And calls and calls, nobody comes back, nobody comes back. And then this guy takes his truck to the car wash and all the red stuff comes off and (laughs) all the dents were still there. I mean, exactly, like nothing had been done. He had been cheated, $800, $800. And this guy was fuming mad. He was so mad, so mad. And, And I know there are people that get taken advantage of that. And it's just like, this is so wrong. This is so unjust. And all of a sudden we fantasize about how we're gonna get him back. But my friend, who knew this guy, said, well, why are you so mad? Really, let's get to the root of why is it that you are so mad? He said, because I don't have $800 just to throw away like that. And to just give, I mean, I just don't have that kind of money. And so you know what my friend did? Send a check to his friend for $800. And the guy goes, wait, 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 why would you do that? He said, because $800 is a small price to pay (laughs) for you to be able to have this feeling like you've been taken advantage of. I'm thinking maybe this is a way you could just move forward and just say lesson learned. But I love you too much. I love you too much to have this eat you up like I see it eating you up. Move on. Do you have the kind of relationship that will call you out when it comes to these matters? Do you have a friend you can call when the temptation or the lusts or the, 
different situations are presenting themselves? Do you have the kind of friend where he says, man, help. Man, I want to live in obedience to the word of God. I want to, I, I know that's where life is lived, but right now I'm in a very weak spot. Well, okay. I'm the kind of friend that, yes, man, let's pray right now. Do you need, do you need to meet? Do we, do we have, do you have those kind of relationships? You guys, we need those kind of relationships. We need those kind of relationships. So, so now is the time. I just, the word of God has been proclaimed. A lot of stuff that I would encourage you, go back, pray. Man, see just who the Holy Spirit comes to mind. You know, do what you can to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. But also, blessed are the pure in heart. You see, Jesus will keep reinforcing what he said at the Beatitudes. What he says, unless your righteousness surpassed that of the Pharisees that are trying to impress everybody, but yet have the self-righteous attitude that, hey, we're better than you. Um, no, there's no room for that. Man, God has given us his grace. Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. Is that worth an amen? And Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself. Oh, church, we've got to take this to heart. So my question for you is, do you need to repent of any self-righteousness? Do you need to repent of, well, there's nothing in the sermon that affects me, so I'm fine. Oh, on the contrary, all of us, all of us. And our own actions, our own thoughts, our own activity could have been sat down because we did not meet the perfect requirement that the law demands. Some of you say, why would God take this so seriously? Well, <laughs> Jesus Christ came and it cost him his life. That's a very serious thing. He did this for you. Oh, I praise God he did it for me. But I want you, as the, the band comes out, uh, when it comes to anger, when it comes to lust, what part do you need to own? And what path do you need to pursue? I don't want you to think about other person. I don't want you right now to be thinking, man, I wish such and such was here. They so need to hear this. No, you need to hear it. You need to hear it. We need the courage to look in the mirror and not deflect that mirror to uh, somebody else. No, you look in the mirror. And right now, oh, I pray that you just do the hard work right now in this moment. Don't let this moment escape you right now. I just want us to sit in some silence right now, and I want you to contemplate how you would answer those.
Jesus raised the bar. But I am so glad that he paid the price for all the lawbreakers like me and you and has given his righteousness to anyone who would trust him for it. Anyone who would trust him for it. Can you pray with me? Father, we love you. And we all need you because we all have sins in our past, actions of defiance against you. Some actions we regret, others not so much, yet you paid for those too. Pray this morning for those who are so ensnared by the pain of what had been done to them or poor decisions or regret. Oh, Lord. You said you have come to set captives free. I pray in the authority of your word right now that you set those hearts free. Oh, Lord, help. And yet, Lord, I also pray for those who think they are too good to need trusting in you but are continuing to trust in themselves. I I pray that they will see the folly of this kind of living. We pray that there would be a change of perspective, that they would be able to take ownership and, Lord, just be able to live in the pathway that you have prescribed, that we come to you. Lord, the real work is your work. You've just called us to connect to you in relationship, to abide with you in relationship. So, Lord, would you, by your spirit, be heavy in our hearts right now, reminding us all that we need you because you alone offer the payment for all we have ever done and will ever do. Lord, thank you for fulfilling the law and doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In your most holy name, and all God's children said, amen.